Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Ashley. And this is A Thousand Miles of True Crime. Hey, Ashley, um, I know you did some fun, you went to a fun event yesterday. So can you tell us a little bit about what you guys did? Yeah, so uh, if you guys remember Megan from our first episode of the season, uh, me and her got to go to like a live uh, taping or live uh, episode with Red Handed. So if you guys are familiar with that podcast, uh, those girls are so awesome and from the UK and we got to do like the you know Q&A at the beginning and there was only like I don't know like 30 people there so it was really it was just really awesome to get up close with them and um you know it's also cool just to be you know in a room with everybody else who loves true crime <laughs> I bet I bet so if you guys are familiar at all with the Vic in Chicago it, it was full obviously and they covered uh geez what's the case um do you know uh, abducted in plain sight from Netflix are you guys familiar with that insane case about Jan Jan Broberg and Bob I watched the Netflix special and I was like was it Netflix or was it on Peacock I can't remember so but I did both. watch it if you were so um I don't know if you caught both so they have like the the true like documentary format on Netflix which is my first encounter with this case weird to say encounter since it involves aliens but um <sighs> and then I just actually came out a, a while ago but I just finished the Peacock one which is like a reenactment it's got Anna Paquin in it and stuff um it's really good too it's you know I think that one's how do I say like slightly more empathetic to like the situation that was happening and you know I think when you watch the documentary which is all like you know the hard cold facts and when you think about it in 2023 you're like what were you people doing what were you thinking you know where I think in the reenactment one they were able to kind of like you know get into people's mind states in what was it like the 70s or whatever a little easier um so I think it, it made me I don't know, sort of empathize with the family and Jan and everybody more than like, you know, when I was watching, watching the documentary, I was like, how are the parents not in jail? You know what I mean? So, but uh, yeah, they did a great job covering it. Like, you know, they took it really seriously, but it was still funny as well. Like at one point they were like dressed like aliens and stuff. So uh, yeah, it was just really cool to hang out with uh, so many like-minded people. Um, When does that episode air for them? Or do so you I not know? know? So I don't think I think they're just on tour I don't think they're actually it wasn't like a live recording they might record it but yeah um, and, and play it at some point but yeah they did um they're all over the U.S. right now they're doing like this whole month-long tour so like they were only in Chicago for a couple days I think they're heading to like Boston or something so um it was cool they said that Chicago is their uh number one like U.S. listening base so that was cool. They have the most listeners from Chicago. And then in the like meet and greet Q&A section, there was some requests for episodes. And so I actually took those down because they were all like local Chicago cases and I didn't know all of them. Um, so I thought you guys might be interested. And then um, I, I have like a quick side note question almost. I'm sorry, this just popped into my head. Kristen, have you heard about the Chicago serial killer at all? Um, I have, but it's primarily been like on Facebook, like uh, a, a few of the groups that I'm in. I've seen people post like there is a serial killer in Chicago. There's um, I think it, the the victims are males, right? Yeah. And they're and found in water or something like that. Yeah. And they're saying maybe in the very near future, we got to cover this in the smiley face killer, because some people are saying it's the smiley face killer who came from like Massachusetts. 
And um, so I kept saying like, I want to cover this. I want to cover this, but there's obviously not much information because it's like just showing up on like TikTok and stuff. But just, I think it was just this week, another guy went missing. He was in the Navy. And for the first time I saw it on actual news. So um, like it was on like ABC. So at some point, I think it's just, uh, this is just like a side note for us. Like we really got to cover that case. If you guys are not, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, I would say Google it. I don't even know if anything's going to come up though. If you're on social media though, check it out. Like there's a lot of evidence that there's a serial killer right now and they're not, they're not talking about it. That's really scary. Yeah. So, well, I'm sorry. I like probably really just took us off sidetrack. But you guys are, I have a feeling you're going to regret moving on because I know that you have a really uh, tough, difficult case we're going to be digging into today, huh, Kristen? I do. And it is actually still a pending investigation. So there are no suspects in custody at this time for the case of Rasheem Carter. And Ashley, I just have to say this case has me so incredibly hot, so incredibly angry and furious. Um, so I'm going to get into it. Um, Rasheem Carter was a 25-year-old Black man who went missing from Taylorsville, Mississippi on October 2nd of 2022. After he reported to police on October 1st and October 2nd, um, two separate times that white men were following him and like making uh, calling him racial slurs and threatening to hurt him and he was in fear for his life so he reported that to the police two times and um nothing was done and rashim's skeletal remains were found a month later on november 2nd of 2022 on a resident of taylorsville's personal property and again, i'm this gonna is 2022 not 1922 right like months ago. okay but remember this is the great state of mississippi so the details about how his remains were found his body was dismembered he was decapitated his skull appears to have been severed in an unnatural manner like it's like sliced the top of his skull is sliced off it's alleged that his penis, his severed penis was in his mouth and his teeth were missing from his skull and his bones, because that's essentially what was left of what they found, had a very greasy substance on it. And investigators are still in the process of determining other remains that they found on another property in Taylorsville on some other private residence property to see if those are his remains too. That's that's still a work in progress. So um, all of his body hasn't even been discovered yet. And to add to that, this, the Mississippi State Medical Examiner's Office, they have not been able to determine a cause of death because of such an advanced state of decomposition. And I'd say after a month, even in Mississippi, like there should be some tissue, there should be some skin, there, you know, there should be something other than bones, right? Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know how someone's body can dis, uh, decompose that quickly. And I understand that there's wildlife and like wild hogs and things like that that are present in these areas, yeah, yeah. but it still, it still doesn't make sense. Um, 
And then one of the most shocking things that I've heard, I'd say in my entire life, is that once his remains actually were found, the Smith County Sheriff, uh, Joel Houston is his name, stated that there was no reason to suspect foul play. What? Like how? How? Wow. Yeah. I if the, the what did the man do? He he went to the police on two separate occasions and reported that people were trying to kill him. And and nothing was done. So I just I don't understand. I can't. And um just based off of what I just described to you about how his remains were found, what what are you what are you thinking? I mean, my first thought is like even like put everything else aside, even if he'd never reported it or anything. Like you just told me that his head was sawed off. Like wild hogs cannot, you know what I mean? The impression that would be left would be extremely different than what you just described to me. So like just one fact right there, like that automatically takes like natural causes out of this. So I look at this really, and I, I can't see it any other way. I see this as a modern day lynching. And I don't know if our listeners really know what that is, but this is like similar or reminiscent of Emmett Till, who was murdered in Mississippi also. And th this was like 67 years ago, but there have been other, other murders that have happened, people of color in Mississippi and and this is just another occurrence of that is is what it seems to me that's that's the feeling that i get family are doing everything in their power to try and fight and bring justice to rasheem carter's name and bring his assailants or whoever's done this to him you know they want they want justice for their son or their their loved one and i just I hope that they get it. So there's been no justice, obviously, in this case. There's no one in custody. I just want to understand this because, it, I mean, why would you put anybody in custody if it's just natural causes, right? Initially, it was that there's no foul play. His his remains were found in the woods and that wildlife just got to him. Like, that, that was just it. But knowing the fact of this is Mississippi, Taylorsville is known as a sundown town, how his remains were found... And the fact that he reported people were were trying to kill him, white people were trying to kill him on multiple instances. And his mother is witness to this, like she was on the phone with him while he was at the police station and everything. It's there's there's so much more. But like just that alone, that leads me to think this is nothing more than that. I don't know if our listeners really know the history of of Mississippi, but Taylorsville the town where this happened and surrounding areas specifically are known as sundown towns. And a sundown town is, is basically defined as white neighborhoods that use some combination of like discriminatory uh, laws, intimidation and violence to keep non-white people out. You know, like back in the day, there would be signs, meaning if you are black or non-white, you do not want to be in our town after dark because you might not make it out. And that, that's scary to think about, but like, that's an actual thing. So, um, and, and like, it's real, it still happens. And so when all the way up until I was, I think even after high school, um, so my grandma lived in a sundown town in Kentucky and like my parents, like if I was going there, my dad would have to have like 
long discussions with me about kind of like keeping my opinions to myself and how like this could become dangerous for me. But when we would pull into town, I will never forget this. There was a humongous sign up and it said N words spelled out very large. It said need not enter after dark. And this was up until, I mean, it is now taken down, but like this isn't like 40 years ago there no like in my lifetime while I was an adult that sign was up and like nobody was like this wasn't like like you know if that was up in our town I feel like it'd be constantly spray painted over like people would be furious they would burn that sign there wasn't a mark on that sign like they wanted that well posted and like that's terrifying well yeah they're they're trying to make their point as clear as possible basically enter at your own risk and it's sad that in 2023 like you said that this is still permitted this is still you know i guess allowed and it's disgusting we do like and i know kentucky is the south but we always almost think of it as like this is a southern problem this is the south my grandma lived like like 19 minutes outside of the Illinois border. Like we're not talking like I was in deep part of the South. Like, no, this is a problem everywhere. And I think we just need to like acknowledge that. Exactly, exactly. So we are using our platform to do just that. I actually lived in Mississippi for two years. So I have my own experiences, you know, for, of, of things that I, I faced there. Both of my parents are also actually from a college town called Starksville, Mississippi as well. And they were born and raised there until they were teenagers. And I just have to speak on, I've like heard so many stories from both of my mom and dad about things that they experienced. They grew up in the Jim Crow era. They went to segregated schools and just that alone and in growing up like that, I asked my parents like, what was that like? Was that uncomfortable? It just blew my mind. And to think, even though that was how it was then, this is still kind of how it is now. It kind of still is that way now. Is it like the sign's not up, but the signs are there kind of thing? Like you just know? When I was there, coming from being in Illinois, like I was just like, this is normal, like this is normal, but it was not. It was very different. And I knew that my, before moving there, my parents had to talk with me like, you know, don't get down there and, and act a fool because it is not the way that it is up here. I spent summers in Mississippi as well. And that was the conversation that our parents had with us, like be on your best behavior. And that too reminds me of like Emmett Till and. If you've if you've watched that or know the history or know that about that case, um, his mom did the same thing when he traveled to Mississippi from Chicago to spend uh, the summer with his cousins. Um, she had to have that conversation with him, but unfortunately, he did not, you know, come back from that. And even more sad is that the people that murdered him, they know who did it, and they were never found guilty. You know, they admitted publicly that they that they did this to Emmett Till and nothing was ever done. But I now want to tell you a little bit about Rashim. So Rashim's from Laurel, Mississippi, and this was an absolutely beautiful human being. I mean, just very handsome, um, totally loved 
by his community, by his family, by his friends. He was a pretty athletic person. He played football in high school and he really loved sports. And he also really enjoyed cooking so much so that he opened a restaurant called Cali in his hometown. Unfortunately, because of COVID and like when the whole pandemic happened, he had to close his restaurant, but that did not like stop him from wanting to pursue his dream. So he was also a father and that's who he actually named his restaurant after his daughter's name is Callie. This man is passionate about cooking and wanting to do whatever it's going to take to reopen his restaurant. So Rashim was a welder and a millwright. And so once his restaurant closed, he was trying to find ways to um, make some more money so that he could reopen his restaurant. So he was doing jobs, any type of welding or millwright jobs that he could. And it was around September of 2022 that he started working a contracting job with Georgia Pacific. He was tasked to go out to Taylorsville to work a job and right before he started having car problems. He ended up reaching out to another coworker named Eduardo and asked, is it all right if I like tag along with you? Can you like get me to and from the job site and maybe we could even room together at a hotel or something? And so this coworker was like, yeah, sure. So they head out to Taylorsville and on October the 1st, they're at the job site and apparently Rashim and Eduardo, this coworker, get into like some type of disagreement. And the coworker is like, you know what? I'm not going to bring you back to the hotel. And so to give you, I guess, a reference of distance between the hotel, which was a Motel 8, that was in Laurel, Mississippi. The job site is in Taylorsville. There's about 30 mile distance there. So imagine being in a known sundown town you're black you're now stranded because your co-worker is not willing to drive you back from taylorsville to laurel what are what are you gonna do this fight about like how bad was the fight like eduardo had to know to an extent that like even like even in the best case scenario right like they don't have uber out in those areas usually and you're expected to like somehow get from point a to point b 30 miles and like how old were they because that just seems like some childish like ass shit like i could see being like i'm gonna ride home with you or i'm gonna give you a ride but don't talk to me at all like don't look at me the whole way but that's like that's a brutal situation to put someone in in the best case scenario i that was my point 100 but like you're right. It's petty. And it's like, this person is putting him in such a, a dangerous situation and they know it. I was even like questioning the reason that they stayed at a hotel outside of Taylorsville. Was it because they knew that this was a sundown town and they're like, oh, we're not trying to, we don't even want to stay overnight in this town. Um, but yes. it's not even just that like, like the people will come out and like you know what I mean so it's not even I feel like one of those situations where you're like you can stay in the hotel and just not leave your room like it's one of those these sundown towns really are like the police will find out you're staying at the hotel and they will come there and they will find any reason in the world 
to like arrest you or harass you or whatever the case. So I think we have to be like really clear that this isn't even a like, just don't come outside in no. these situations. It's like, well, don't, don't be here, period. Don't be here at all. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to make it clear too, because initially when I like surface level, when I was researching this, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Like, why didn't he call an Uber? Why didn't he call a Lyft? But then it's like, they are in this very rural area. This was not an issue of money. But you, if you don't know anybody else to say, hey, I will throw you $30 if you run me to, to Laurel. I just got to get out of this town. You know, he didn't have that, you know. And I, it sounded like Eduardo was someone that he felt comfortable enough riding out there with. And he doesn't know anybody else in Taylorsville or maybe even in Laurel. So like, who is he going to ask to come to come help him? I don't know. Like, I was like, that's really childish. Like, I don't care. Like, did he fuck your wife or something? Like, there are certain situations where I'm like, go ahead and leave him there. You know what I mean? But like, it's got to, that might want to be so bad that you're like accepting that like, I'm putting my co-worker's life at risk is like all I'm getting at that you, and there's no way, especially like Eduardo, like no offense, but like he knows, right? Like he's not some like, rich ignorant white kid from the northeast or something that doesn't understand what kind of situation he's putting this guy's life in no he's I, and i agree like i'm i asked myself i wonder how eduardo feels now about his decision to to do this um but no he he had to have been fully aware they know where they're at you know yeah and even even in interviews that i've watched with rasheem's mother whose name is tiffany carter she's like my son knew he's fully aware of where he's at so eduardo would have been too i would assume so rashim is now trying to figure out how he's going to get back to his hotel in laurel and so he calls his mom and he's frantic he tells her that several white men are in trucks and they're yelling racial slurs at him and he sounds terrified you know his mom she's like go to the police go to the police and after their call ends Rashim texted his mom and he says these are his words this is his text message me and the owner of this company not seeing eye to eye mama and then he gives his mother the name of the owner his name is redacted then he goes on to say but if anything happens to me he is responsible for it mama I'm too smart, mama. He got these guys wanting to kill me. That's the text message that he sent to his mother on October the 1st. I do want to add too, Rashim doesn't have a past of like drug use or mental health or anything like that. I'm, okay, what hold on. Side note, I'm glad you brought that up. But also, again, would you have brought that up in a different situation? Just being honest, like if this wasn't a black man, right? Do you feel like you'd have to bring that up? Do you think that you'd have to clarify that he doesn't do drugs, that he doesn't have a history of mental illness and that he's college educated? No. You might, but you know, and you felt in this situation that you needed to clarify that this is a, a man worthy of not being killed, basically. Like, I just wanna like take a moment 
again, but you did have to say that you shouldn't have had to say that. The reason I'm saying it is because when Tiffany Carter went out to Taylorsville after like her son was actually officially a missing person, um, the police told her, well, maybe he was high or something. Um, and then on Reddit, all over Reddit, they were saying this man had like a schizophrenic episode. And it's like, where does it anywhere say that he's a schizophrenic? Where does it say that he has a mental illness? It doesn't say that anywhere. So why the fuck is that out there? You know, like they're, they're just trying to just, well, these white people didn't do this, but yeah. this guy was a, a drug using, a drug using, possibly mentally uh, ill person. And that just is know, fucking like, fucked up. Like, I might not be an expert in schizophrenia, but I'm pretty sure you don't, like, wander into the woods and, like, dismember yourself and, like, decapitate yourself and, like, cut your skull off. Like, never heard of it. Done a lot of cases now around schizophrenia. Like, I ain't seeing the correlation. Like, me, I got to, maybe I'm just not on that Mississippi math, but I'm... Really the math, struggling right now. The math ain't mathin'. The math ain't mathin'. Famous, famous words. So um his mom obviously advises him to go to the Taylorsville police station because she doesn't know anybody in Taylorsville. She doesn't know anybody in the in the closely surrounding areas that's close enough in proximity to get him what help or to go get him, period. Um and she's hours away in Fayette. So she's like, go to the police. And even at that moment of thinking, I have to go to the police for help right now, scared Rasheen. I'm sure. So he goes and his mom's on the phone with him while he's there. You know, he explains to them that there are white men in three trucks that have been threatening him, following him, and yelling racial slurs at him. And so the police are like, eh, not taking his his report seriously at all. And they asked him, they claim to have asked him, well, would you like to make a file a report? And he said, that, or they claim that he said, no. So why is he there? Why is he there? He's he's just coming in to just let y'all know that right. no, right. no. I just want to make my murder investigation easier later on. Is that like, I mean, and I can see him being frustrated too and maybe actually saying like, no, I'm not looking to file a report because I'm sure he's like, no, I'm looking for safety. Like I'm looking for you to take this seriously and protect me while I'm stuck in this town. Do you think that the police uh, protected him? I'm just... Do I think the police protected him? I wish I was ignorant enough to believe that the police did everything that they possibly could have done to protect that poor man. The police did not protect him. So like what were they saying? Like, we can't actually do anything. Like, we have freedom of speech down here in the great state of Mississippi. The police instead, um, well, Rasheem was like, okay, can you guys just carry me back to Laurel, to my hotel? He, he simply asked if they could take him to Laurel. Like, like we said, there's no Uber, there's no Lyft. Can you guys just get me back to a place where I feel safe? I'm in fear for my life. 
and they told him no. They said that that is outside of their jurisdiction, so they were not going to be able to drive him to Laurel. And then as his mom's on the phone with him while he's at the police station, like asking for this ride um, and telling them that these people are chasing him, he then says, well, can I just stay here at the station because my mom has someone that's going to come get me. So she's on the back end, like calling all the people that she knows that are closer in proximity that can try and get to him to pick him up. And the police say, no. Why not? Exactly. Isn't that supposed to be a safe place where people can go if they're in fear for their lives? Apparently not in Taylorsville and apparently not if you're a black man. If I can understand that like, hey, like, like, unfortunately, we're not a taxi service. We can't even even in this horrible situation. I'm really sorry. We can't drive you the 30 miles. But it's not like he's like, hey, can I get some free room and board here for a couple nights till I finish up my job? He's like, can I stay here for a few hours? I like someone's already on the way to come get me. Yeah. The thing is, though, someone wasn't already on the way. That wasn't okay. determined. Okay. But but still, like, you know, the severity, thinking about the severity of your your child is calling you. He's telling you that people are after him, that they're trying to hurt him. You know where he's at. It's this really racist place. You're probably doing everything that you can to try and get to him. But I wonder it's, if there's also some, because like how close are we to Jark at this point? It's the evening. It's the evening. So like, it's gotta be almost kind of hard too, to be like, how do I say this? Like, it's like, you almost got to find a white person to go pick him up then too, a little, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, of course that mom wants to do anything she can to get into oh, the yeah. town and to get him, right? But like, maybe like you're, you know what I mean? Do you got what I'm saying? That like, it's not like necessarily just anybody, even if you had the capability of dropping everything and driving there and going into that town, like, for example, if it's you, like you do, right? Like you want to drop everything and you want to go get him. But now you got to think about like, well, now I'm putting myself at risk and I have kids and like, you know what I mean? So it's not just as simple as like, let me drop everything and go pick this guy up. So he's safe. Like you also have to think about like, am I going to be safe going into that town after dark? Right. This is an area known to have white supremacist activity. Just to kind of give you some relevance to where this is. Um, it's not very far from Neshoba County. And Neshoba County is where white supremacists and law enforcement together killed three civil rights workers in 1964. So this is not a place that anybody wants to be. And, and activity like this where white supremacists have these relationships with law enforcement. It is a common thing. So like you said, not very many people are going to be volunteering like, yeah, I'll go pick up Rasheem in, in the evening time in this in this town. So now we're at the point. Eduardo has abandoned him. So he's he's stuck, right? He's at the Taylorsville police station. It's it's now evening and 
they're not willing to to take him to Laurel because it's outside of their jurisdiction. I don't know what else they were doing, but that's a major fuck up in my opinion by the Taylorsville police. Um, and in 30 miles, there, there's no way someone can walk 30 miles on foot in a sundown town being black at night. I'm just gonna lay it out there like it is. So it's it's unclear what happened after he left the police station that evening. We don't know where he slept. We, he did return to the police station October the 2nd in the early morning hours. Again, now he knows they're not gonna give him a ride, but he asks, can I borrow a charger? Can I like charge my phone here? Because at this point, it's been almost a whole day that he's not been able to charge his phone. So he, even if he were to try and go on foot now and walk from Taylorsville to Laurel, how, if you don't know how to get there, like, what are you gonna do? The police say that they extended uh, the phone charges that they had, but none of them fit his phone. He had an iPhone. So you're telling me no one in the Taylorsville police station had uh, an iPhone charger. I just, I don't believe that. So now it's at this point, Rashim is is back in contact with his mom and he, you know, he's like, my phone's about to die. I have 1% battery left. She's like, I got someone coming to get you. Okay, so just go to the dollar store and and just wait. Someone is coming to get you. And that's the last text that Rashim had sent to his mom and dropping a pin to share his location. That was at 10 a.m. on October the 2nd. Rashim's mom's friend, who she sent out to Taylorsville to pick him up, she arrived at the dollar store around 1.30 p.m. And Rashim was gone. Just nowhere to be found. Like they're, they're driving around the, the air, surrounding area to see if he's on foot somewhere. He is just gone, nowhere to be found. And the family obviously now is, everybody's going to Taylorsville. Like they're now reporting him as a missing person and they're on site, like trying to do their own searches, asking uh, local stores for video surveillance, asking the gas stations. And they're like, we don't have any footage. These, these establishments are saying, we don't have any footage. We didn't see anything, we checked. But it's like, you don't even know what he looks like. So you, how, how are you to say, that he's not on your on your footage. The only footage that um, was shared with the family was from the dollar store where he went in and then he came back out. I just want to make sure I understand. So he made it the whole night somehow. And I think like it's 10 a.m. You got to feel a little safer, right? Like the sun's up. I mean, you probably shouldn't but you probably feel a little safer, right? Like the sun's up, people are out, my ride's on its way, like I'm gonna make it. He's, I'm sure, just really scared. Really, really scared. So it wasn't up until about a week before Rashim's remains were actually found, like I said, which was on November the 2nd, a resident in Taylorsville actually shared an image captured from her properties like trail cam, I guess they like, like want to see like deer activity or something um, on their property. 
So on October the 2nd at 4.32 p.m., Rashim is on this cam, and the image still shows him holding a big stick. He's not wearing a shirt. And an insider interview that was done with Rashim's mom, Tiffany, she said, I think it was a struggle, and I think he was trying to protect himself. He was hiding. You could see that there are bruises on him like bruises that she said he he didn't have those when he left Fayette to go to Taylorsville. She also said, when I see that picture, I know my son was somewhere struggling, somewhere running for his life. And I really believe he was chased there. That text that I told you that he sent to his mom about him and his boss not seeing eye to eye, um, according to an article on Mother Jones, both the coworker that refused to bring Rasheem back to the hotel after October 1st and the boss have been ruled out as suspects because their phone records and GPS show that they were not in Taylorsville, like on the day that he disappeared. But there was a whole month in between there, like a yeah. whole month from when he disappeared to when his remains were found. So it's like, why are you just looking at where these people were on this day and like anybody could just leave their phone or take take my phone and you go here and i'm gonna go do something else over here um i just i thought that that was questionable i think that was questionable but like what did the text message exactly say it was something along the lines of like he got these white guys to hate me they're gonna kill me basically yes he said if something happens to me this is who is responsible like what bigger clue do they need what bigger clue do they need and granted even if it's not that person did he orchestrate his connections in that town you know to to do something to harm him uh i just i feel like a, a much larger investigation would need to be done versus just looking at someone's phone records i do feel like more investigation needs to be done like don't just clear these guys and it also sounds like the whole police department needs to be looked into because as I went further into my research, um, I found more disturbing rumors um, that were going around in Taylorsville after Rasheem's remains were found. It's rumored that Rasheem may have flirted with a Taylorsville police officer's daughter, which what I'm, I'm sure would have pissed the entire town off because that's just a big no-no. And again, immediately made me think of Emmett Till the 14-year-old black child who was murdered August the 28th, uh, 1955 in Mississippi for allegedly the same thing, whistling at a white woman. And his, uh, Rasheem's mom, she doesn't agree with that, with that rumor. She does not agree with that at all because she's like, he wasn't there long enough. And she just feels as though he would just know better than to do something like that. Another rumor surfaced after protests that the family had in Taylorsville in December, where a kid actually confessed to finding a body in his family's hog pen. So remember how I said his bones had like that sticky substance on, the, on them? Mm -hmm. That's like a thing. Like, you know, if you're gonna wanna dispose of a body, mm -hmm. hogs will eat anything. Pigs will eat anything. And for a child to have made an accusation like that or like start a rumor like that 
they're they're joking about a man's life they're joking about a father's life so i just found that to be really disturbing and it really bothered me following that child's statement of you know he saw a body in his family's hog pen there was actually a video that surfaced of some other kids saying and i quote the police turned him down but a, a blank man's pigs didn't and then they said that his body was buried somewhere on their property like these are kids that are saying this and it just for me i'm like that sounds like it needs to be followed up on. Yeah, because this isn't their imagination just running rampant. And and then one, why would a child's imagination be to think that someone's body would be fed to hogs? That just totally disgusted me. And even more so that these are our children. As if those two rumors aren't enough. Um, a resident of Taylorsville also did some ignorant shit. They posted on Facebook and then later de deleted that post. Um, but this was after a, a protest that happened in February. They said, if they come back and threaten me again, I will be healed and I will send the next black sons of bitch or bitches to their hog eight brother in hell. I do promise everyone in this godforsaken land, which I live in that true talk white power yes yes i am not bullshitting you this individual felt the need to post this on facebook publicly and the great people of taylorsville what can i say and i'm gonna close with this one of the police chiefs his name is gabe horn he posted on Facebook after another protest. I guess the protesters wrote on the ground that Rashim's life mattered. And he posted a video of a man hosing down the street and like hosing away the chalk or the paint that they used with the quote, little cleanup and an emoji with a waving, like a waving emoji. The police chief posted that on Facebook. This police chief is also related to the person whose resident it was where Rashim's remains were actually found. Huh. Well, that's convenient. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, it sounds like the great state of Mississippi hasn't changed one bit. My heart goes out to the entire family and may there soon be justice for Rasheen Carter. So I will end it there. Um, Ashley, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, just, I mean, first of all, thank you for bringing, I had never heard about this case at all. So thank you for kind of bringing light on it. Obviously the poor, poor family. Um, the only other thing I would say is if, you know, you're feeling really passionate right now about the situation or other ones like that. One podcast I would highly recommend reaching out to. It's one of my favorites is black history for white people. I think it's important. I think it's necessary. The work that they're doing. Uh, I've learned so much from that podcast, but I don't know if you even know about, about this, um, 
pace, Kristen, but um, they're, they, they're, their last episode was uh, this case in, it's actually in Tennessee. It's Alan Mays. And fortunately, he didn't lose his life or anything, but I think you'll see very, like a lot of similarities in the whole town and the whole police department and everybody's sort of coming together and like not assisting this man who's basically being stalked and tortured and his, you know, his whole family's going through all this stuff. Um, so I think it, again, it's just a reminder, like this case that you just discussed happened in 2022, like it happened months ago. This isn't, we don't know, we're not talking about a historical case here from 1955, you know, um, like this stuff is still happening today. And um, I just really appreciate you, you know, taking the the time. I know this was a hard case for you to cover. It was. Well, I appreciate you sharing that that podcast too. And to our listeners, continue to support, like, um, share. We really appreciate all of your support. And um, more than anything, I, I totally hope that we're able to get justice for Rasheen Carter.